Welcome to the Liz Soko podcast. Today we have Jerry Ann, who is a trauma-informed energy healer, and um, she kind of guides people on their awakening journey. Um, she's got beautiful energy, a beautiful person. Her posts on her social media are super authentic, if you want to check that out. And she kind of posts different things about, um, obviously, energy healing, also about sobriety and trauma healing at a deep core spiritual level. Um, I connected with her on social media, and I instantly knew that she was going to be a great guest because of her insight and her own personal journey with these kind of issues that we all struggle with. So today we're going to go into some topics um, like shame and guilt, um, addiction recovery, um, sexual wellness, and just overall self-empowerment because of the time that we're in as a collective right now and how we're all kind of traversing this new territory of freedom and creative power and the ability to connect with people globally. So Jerrianne, would you like to give a little introduction and kind of insight into who you are? Sure. Yeah. First off, thank you everyone for listening to this and making time for yourself. I'm really excited to be here and to share some of my experience and journey. I love that the universe brought us together. Um, but I'm Jerry Ann, like I said before, and I have eight and a half years clean from heroin and crack addiction. Um, I discovered my entire life, like I felt even as a child, I had this love void. I grew up in a home that was like, my parents were very narcissistic. Um, I Now that I'm an adult, I can like look back and understand they love me the way they knew how to love me because I've done a lot of ancestral healing. Um, and I know like my mom was struggling with some things that was passed down to her. And like, it was just a whole lineage thing that I had to navigate. Um, so I had this love void and I started filling it really early with things outside of myself, you know, masturbation, getting lost in literature, pretending I was the character in the book. Like I would literally read a book in two days and just get lost in it to escape my own reality. Um, attention. I would lie a lot and create stories just because my reality was, I was so detached from it. Um, so I know my addiction started before I even picked up a substance. I was like seeking something that would make me escape myself. Um, so yeah, I like to always just say if now that I reflect on it, I feel like it was a love void and like this spiritual path and this, like this work that I do brought me home to myself and I'm able to give myself that love instead of outsourcing. But it took years of like banging my head off the wall and overdosing and, you know, all of the things before I found an inside solution for an inside problem instead of trying to find an outside solution for an inside problem. Um, so yeah, do you just like want me to dive in? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I want to, I want to hear more about your story. Um, obviously it's super inspirational and the woman that you are now, um, I want you to tell that story from the perspective of who you are now, okay. because I find that that's the way that, we can empower each other and to see the light that we brought into our own lives. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can see that you're not ashamed of your story and that you're so comfortable with it. But I, I guess this is a little bit of an exercise and play a little back. around. Okay. With it. Um, so if you were 
the same woman having this love void like five years ago or whenever you had the um how long are you again are you clean eight and a half years I'll have nine in August okay eight and a half years almost nine years if you were the woman who was experiencing all of that right compared to the woman who you are now what would you tell that other woman I would definitely tell her like you're going to be okay um I found out I have chills talking about this. I found out a lot of the energy I was carrying that kept me escaping was empathy because I was feeling everybody's stuff at such a young age. And I didn't know how to ground that energy that I was taking it on as if it was my own. So at seven, I was diagnosed with depression. I have a seven-year-old son and I'm like, and at five, I was put on ADHD medicine. When in reality, like when I shift my perspective and like I'm kind of looking at it at the third person perspective that you put me in, which is also a great technique for people who are healing from trauma is to take them out of it and to look at it at a third person perspective. So good job. Um, I realize now reflecting that, that empathy piece, I was absorbing my mom's pain, you know, everyone around me, my teachers, and I just didn't know how to process it or what I was feeling. I took all of that as if it was my own and I didn't know what to do with it. So I wanted to escape it. Um, So, yeah, but I would definitely tell that person that you are lovable. You're worthy of loving yourself and like everything is going to be okay. And you're going to do amazing things for sure. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, and I signed up for this shit. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> it was energy before I came into this humanness and I saw my life path and all of my experiences, I believe, before I signed up for this. So like also that's a huge thing when you shift your perspective. And I personally believe in soul contracts and we're energy and we see the life that we are going to live and what parents we are going to have and we choose that. So my soul chose this path for a reason to get me for my spirit and my energy to the next level and to like break patterns for my next lifetime. I know that sounds really woo, but it's like one of my main beliefs that helps me like not feel like a victim, not feel like, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to go through this? It's like, oh, nope, you signed up for this. You're going to learn some heavy things in this lifetime and you're going to help a lot of fucking people you know? Yes. I love that you've alchemized your suffering into um, your strength. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I did also. Um, There was never a time when I was like feeling all of, because I'm highly empathetic as well. So when I was feeling all of these things, and especially living in New York City, um, I felt everything very deeply, but there was never a time where I was like, this is meaningless. There was never a time where I was like, I'm suffering and no one else is suffering. I always knew I came here to um, establish ground within myself and to ground the people around me. Uh, I love that. Yeah. So luckily, um, I have been through some serious soul contracts, as you would say, as well, and uncovering them and binding them and dissolving them. But... um, what I kind of took from all of that is that, um, like you said, there's specific things that we came here to learn and specific things that we came here to discontinue in our lineage. 
Um, this is something I'm really passionate about. And like you have a son, so it's even more powerful that you came here to make sure that your son is going into a different level of consciousness. Yeah. Right? And something that I saw from your story is that you probably had highly immature parents as an influence. Absolutely. So that's one of your kind of characteristics, um, soul contracts. But when you can see, and this is for listeners and just for the collective in general, when you can see that, um, sorry, I just blanked out. When you can see, because I'm like feeling a lot of things right now. <laughs> when you can see that um, you're, the people who influence you were wrong and that you are not wrong for yeah. noticing that they did something wrong, that is the first step to begin healing the wound. Because if a lot of us um, who are kind and smart, kind and smart people tend to suffer the most in our society. Um, if you characterize yourself as either of those things, you will take on this idea that you're responsible for all the suffering in the world. Absolutely. Yes. And this idea, it comes from a little bit of the inner control that manifests in, inside all of our psyches that we have to control our environment so we feel safe. Um, unfortunately you have no control. <laughs> I would like to just say surrender. that just surrender. Yeah. Yes. And this idea of surrender is not talked about so much because it seems like if you surrender, like you're a crazy person, like you've just given up. But the truth is that when you surrender your problems to God or a higher power or to a community, you will see that you don't need to carry these problems. Right? Yeah. And usually they're problems that you literally can't control and that are just taking up space and draining your power and energy. Mm -hmm. That is so true. So it's like, we don't need to carry this anymore. And I know as an energy worker and you're an empath, you can tell when you're carrying stuff physically will start to manifest within your physical vessel. Like for me, my upper back will start hurting so bad and I'll be like what am I carrying what do I need to surrender right now just asking myself those questions and then like giving it to source or that higher power or just brain dumping getting it out of your energy onto paper um, and releasing it is so helpful with that I feel that too I get flutters in my chest Mm -hmm. I don't get um, any like localized pain but I get I get like this electricity in my chest yep and when I wake up with that, I'm like, okay, you need to cry your eyes out right yeah. now. <laughs> and like sometimes, most of the time, I actually have no idea what the energy is related to, but I just know it has to get out of me. And, and I, I love that you don't try and force finding exactly where it stems from instead of just let surrender and let it release, you know? We don't always have to find the root of everything all the time and relive it. We can just let it go every once in a while instead of digging and putting ourselves in a state of stress or feeling like something's wrong with us that we have to fix. Like we're not broken, you yeah. know? Yes. Yes. That is um, key. And like, if you're listening to this episode, I want you to like, I want this to stick out. The fact is that um, in our psychological system and in our mentally driven society, everyone wants to pathologize everything, including emotions. And the truth is with most emotions, you have no clue where that's coming from. A lot of the times I feel deep human grief that is just innate to my experience and it's not linked to my relative life. But that is still something that I have to go into and experience. Um, 
And if I were to sit down and try to explain it, I would have no clue how to explain that. You know, I've, I've surrendered my mind to my emotions because I know that my emotions a lot of the time have more wisdom than my thoughts can ever kind of create a reality around. Um, you're just radiating some queen of cups energy right now. <laughs> I love it. Do you, are you into tarot at all? Yes. I have like so many decks. Like just surrendering to your emotions and not like getting the logical side out of it and just embracing that and letting them flow. That's just queen of cups energy radiating from you. And I love it so much. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I was, it took me a while and okay, Jerry, and I have another areas on this podcast. I don't know what's going on. Um, you are real time seeing the universe working in my life, which is amazing. Yeah. And um, Jerry Ann, I feel like has, um, a lot of soul wisdom that is like penetrating through my screen right now because she's obviously done the work in this lifetime. But also I truly think that you actually, um, you actually are a really old soul in some sense. Yeah. I, like an old that. soul, an old soul who was very disempowered. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, Even as like I see it in my son too, as a child, I would get lost in like things kids don't think about. Like honestly, like off topic, I would lay in my bed night after night wondering like if nothing else existed, what the universe would look like. Would it be black? Would it be white color wise? But those colors didn't exist. And I would get lost in these crazy things thoughts all the time um and that's another thing my brain always went so I was always trying to quiet down quiet it down and drugs instantly as soon as I tried them it I was numb and I felt like I was home it was like this false sense of security um for sure my first experience like I partied a lot you know to escape with alcohol like to the point where I would black out but um my father had left for the lifestyle that goes with addiction. So I had this deep-rooted abandonment wound as well. And then I got into my first serious relationship and found out that he was using IV heroin at 17. And I went straight from the this mentality that there's something wrong with me. My dad chose this, my boyfriend who I love and was so emotionally codependent on because I didn't know how to love myself chose this over me. So I was like, I need to find out what this is to see what's so lovable about it that I don't have. So I went straight to stick a needle in my arm. And as soon as I felt that, like I felt like found that false sense of home safety, clarity. Um, and it, like I loved it. It was like love at first experience for me. I didn't realize, obviously like I didn't project into the consequences of it, but that was the first time my mind turned off, you know? So it was like off from there. You know what? I understand that because something, I mean, I've experienced just like natural medicines and obviously um, substances that kind of alter your consciousness. Even alcohol does that. Um, and what I, what the connection that I made, cause I had also started doing yoga and meditating and I was saying like drugs are, um, an elevator into source consciousness. Mm-hmm. Drugs are an elevator into bliss energy and these substances, I mean, 
I think modern science and, and like society are just correlating this idea that um, we have the potential to go to source just as we are, but because of all the conditioning and all uh-huh. of the programming, we need to break through it somehow. And a lot of people are self-medicating for that reason. Yeah. And I'm not trying to glorify the experience that I had with addiction. Like right now, I feel like the way I said it, it was very true. Like that's how I felt. It was, I felt at home, but this also, if we flip the script a little bit and look at those of you who are listening to this, who might have an addict in your family or a friend who are struggling, or like you feel like, you know, they chose this over you or why can't they just stop, you know, and are frustrated and angry. And I'm not trying to co-sign their shit, but I'm telling you, like, it has nothing to do with anything outside of the power that that substance has to bring that internal feeling. And then once you are attached to it, it is so hard to break free from. Like the people do not, this might be controversial, but nobody chooses to become a homeless drug addict junkie. We choose that first one. We, if I would have known that I would have became homeless and hurt everyone I loved and watched people around me die, um, I would have never put that needle in my arm. You hear about experiences, but you don't believe it until you experience it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I feel like there's two sides to this and like I told you a little bit before not you guys but I've experienced the addiction and I've experienced loving an addict and I've also experienced losing my fiance and finding him overdosed and dead you know I've experienced it's been a big soul's journey with addiction and I've broken that ancestral pattern for my own son um but yeah like there's so many different levels to it it's crazy mm-hmm. So what would be your advice for someone who's struggling with addiction? Like if you were in their body and if you're in their mind right now and you have that desire to go home or that desire to escape your mind, what is your advice? Like what is a natural coping strategy? To get out of the grips of addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, There's life beyond this. And I would recommend like just looking at yourself in the mirror, like making eye contact with yourself and like telling yourself like you're worthy of so much more. Like you don't have to live like this anymore. I'm getting emotional mm-hmm. because that's like at the end of my road, I didn't recognize myself when I looked in the mirror. I wanted to die. And for some reason, like people I loved were overdosing, but I wouldn't like it just spirit, spirit kept me going, not saying I'm special or anything. Um, but like, there's so much more than this. If you give yourself a chance and you deserve to give yourself a chance. So many people are dying from it right now. It's crazy. Yes. I think that COVID, since people are um, kind of hopeless, it's Absolutely. I think addiction might be linked to hopelessness as well. Um, and that, that's what keeps you addicted also, along with shame and guilt too. But yeah. I, I, oh, sorry. Continue. No. Well, the, the stigma with addiction is that that keeps people from getting help too is like they there's like this idea that you have to look and be a certain way to be an addict. And 
the shame of what people will think like that you're using and keeps people from getting help sometimes. So also if you're listening, like, and you have some limiting beliefs or program thinking of what addiction looks like or who um, is more susceptible to fall victim to addiction, try and just realize that society placing that programming into you and like, let that go so that you might be that person that somebody is feel safe to be vulnerable with me. Like I'm fucking struggling. Can you help me? Um, and like release the judgment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you need to talk to anyone, reach out to either of us. Like <laughs> we will assist you. Yeah. On a spiritual level on kind of what's transcending in your mind. And a lot of the times addiction is the doorway into a higher level of awareness and, and hitting those rock bottoms and seeing, um, I didn't necessarily have a drug-related rock bottom. My rock bottom was like a conscious mental awakening. Mm -hmm. Like some people mentally awaken um, just randomly, you know, like they'll be like playing the piano and like play better or like whatever. Like I had a one week long conscious awakening where I saw like root chakra and I saw all of this darkness and I, I said, I mean, a part of me was like, okay, I'm officially losing my mind. And <laughs> that that was the point at which I completely surrendered. Because I was always a person who had it together, who was mentally really strong. And then I was like, I'm that's it, I'm gone. Like, <laughs> and I just surrendered. And you know what? That was my trauma coming up out of me. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yes. And the the experience that I had, um, my addiction was more to holding on to the negativity and the trauma yeah, and not releasing it. So that was my addiction. And that actually um, releases very similar chemicals in the brain as some drugs do as well. It doesn't release like the good, like the dopamine and the serotonin, but the feeling that withdrawal feeling is the same chemicals as like really living trauma. And that is an addiction of its own too, mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. Um, I also think I like when I look back about look back on how I used to live and how I used to view myself because I had a very negative self image. I don't see it as a bad thing. I just see it as a part of my growth. I don't see it as like, oh, it was so bad. I never want to go back there. I see it as like, I didn't know better. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the support. I did the best I could. And that was a part of my life. Yeah. I think that that's also an important thing to add for people who are having any type of spiritual awakening, um, addiction, mental health issues, you will see down the line that this was a part of your growth and that it's not the end of the world and nothing to be ashamed of. And it's the same thing with like sexual assault um, and people coming out about the sexual harassment claims and stuff. Um, I want that to empower people to, you don't necessarily have to like go out in the open and say like, I'm this and whatever. It can be an internal healing experience, but this idea that you have to look back on your past and say, I was an awful person is also wrong. Yeah. I think, I think that that stigma, like you said, the stigma, it, it, it affects all of us and leads to shame and guilt. Yeah. 100%. And also like, kind of what you're talking about too is kind of shifting your perspective and rewriting your story and becoming empowered from it instead of disempowered as well. And a lot of times I do a lot of work with 
helping people claim their purpose and release limiting beliefs around it and limiting thinking and program thinking with NLP. And a lot of a pattern that I see is a lot of people's purpose comes from their pain. A lot of our hardest experiences stems passion and wanting to help others through what they are went through or to, you know, to be heard so that other people don't feel alone. Like vulnerability and sharing that pain is such a gift. You don't know whose life you're saving. Like it's a ripple effect through and through all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's the perspective that I, I, I always strive to convey this idea that shame, guilt, suffering, and pain will eventually be transmuted into your greatest lesson, A, and also your purpose. Yeah. And if you, look at the, if you look at the biographies or autobiographies of the most successful and famous people, you will see that a lot of them came from destructive homes. They came from poverty. They came from oppression. And the best artists in the world, the best creatives, actually were the people who suffer the most. And it's, it's, it's um, I don't think people kind of look at that aspect of what success is. Success is transmuting your negative experiences into positive experiences. And the most successful people are actually just the best transmuters. I love that. I feel that for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I want to talk more about you. (laughs) I would love to talk more about your, not necessarily like rock bottom, but the point at which you realize, okay, I'm dealing with the spiritual issue here. Because obviously this was your spiritual awakening journey from you said four or five when you were ADHD, which I think is like, this is a whole topic on its own, this idea of, um, oh my gosh, it frustrates me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this idea of putting kids on medicine when they have just highly sensitive um, energies and highly creative energies and um, energies that can change the world. Yeah. Those energies is what's keeping us so limited. Yeah. My son's pediatrician was like, he has eight. I was like, don't even like, do you know who you're talking to? Like, do not even say that. And my son is the most empathetic, compassionate, creative soul ever that I have and I get to guide him through this life I was like but um another thing that was a huge piece to me now and as I reflect on my childhood was like with the ADHD and the depression at a young age I also had this thing called an IEP so I was in learning support classes and I always felt shame for that um and I felt like I was a square trying to fit in like a circle So everything looked so easy for everyone else, but for me and my brain and how I process things, it was so complicated for me um, that I felt like I was broken. So all of these doctors were trying to fix me. My mom was trying to fix me. I was trying to fix me and I wasn't fucking broken. I just had a different way of processing things. And that carried with me as an adult. Even after I got clean, I saw people doing recovery a certain way and like 
it wasn't working for me. So I felt like I was wrong and I had to like, and I think that's why another big thing that I am so passionate about with this path that we're both on and most of you listening are on is like that spiritual alignment. What works like mindless meditation might work for someone, breath work might work for someone, you know, movement, even dancing, getting back into your body. is a form of meditation, right? So you try something once, say you just try meditation once and your brain's wandering, you feel like this doesn't work for you. So automatically you're like, mm, this path isn't for me. It's not working. And then you stop there instead of trying something else to see what works for you. So when I reflect and get frustrated with myself now, I re- go back to my inner child. And I'm like, okay, let's just try it a different way. And I'm softer with myself. Mm. And I think this message is coming through for I don't know why this is coming out, but if you're being frustrated with yourself and feeling like something's not working, try something else. You know, don't feel like you have to be stuck because everyone else is doing it and you feel like that's what you should be doing. Like try a different variation that brings in the same energy for you. Um, But anyways, I have no clue why we got onto that topic. This always Um, happens. This always (laughs) happens on this podcast. It's fine. I love it. Gosh. I'm I'm 100% sure because I'm like a channel, like somebody probably needed to hear that that's listening to it. So there you go. Um, But my rock bottom is where we were going, right? I'm okay with talking about that. How I knew my like spiritual awakening and I've had multiple spiritual awakenings. I've had like the big earth chattering ones and then I have like the aha ones. Um, Actually, I work a 12 step program and one of them is like talks about the spiritual awakening and I like think that's amazing. But so at the end of my addiction, I was, and I'm so, if you're a sex worker listening to this and you feel empowered by it and it feels right with your fucking soul, do what you do and feel good and feel empowered for it. My reason for doing it was very disempowering. I was doing it to find ways and means to get what I needed to survive my addiction. And I put myself in very dangerous situations and um, like really went against my core values at that moment. Like I was hurting myself. So my rock bottom, I was pretty much kidnapped and like taken to a hotel and heavily medicated and kept there for a couple of weeks and was just used as a sex toy pretty much for men to come in and out of. Um, And I got out of that, I escaped with another girl and I survived and I went straight back. Like I didn't, I uh, was numbing myself from all the trauma. I did not want to think about what I just experienced. So my instant reaction, instead of going and getting help, was I need to numb this out of my mind. So I went back to the strip club that I was working at, which was really like a prostitute area. And I started using more and more and more and more and more. And um, I wanted to die. I like had asked my higher power. I was like, just take me out with this one because like I didn't want to have to do it in a messy way. And like, and I didn't. And um, I like looked into the in this mirror and I like looked at myself and I just like did not recognize myself and um I knew if I was not going overdose somebody was going to kill me like because I was in Baltimore City at the time and I was homeless and I was like living in trap houses um and living a very very like scary lifestyle I also want to point out I'm gonna go there 
that I was a white female in Baltimore City, okay? I had so many black female friends that homeless shelters would not let in because, you know, there were so many of them um, and they let me in because I was white. So I only reason I survived my addiction in Baltimore City was because I was white. That is privilege and that is not okay. Um, the overdose rate and like suicide rate for African-Americans, black women, women of color is so much higher. Like people were giving me, when I would panhandle and if like, my black girlfriend would not ever make as much as I did. I would get offered like money to stay places. My privilege got me here and that shit needs to change. And I'm sorry for going there. I feel like you're okay with me sharing this. I'm really passionate about it. And I'm actually trying to figure out what I can do to help this and change this right now. Um, Cause I just found out one of my friends overdosed and died. Um, she's been out there for a while, but yeah, I was very privileged, but I looked like I just knew that it was time for me to give myself a chance. Um, I felt my first spiritual awakening was like waking up from Narcan. And like, I was like, oh, I really shouldn't have died. And I was like, I deserve to give myself a chance. And I was like, I need to run with this hope. I can't numb this out. I can't numb this out. So I like went all the way back to my stepdad's house and like asked him for help and went to a treatment center and like, I completely moved locations. Like I'm from Baltimore. I'm like five hours away from that now. And I never went back home because I was too scared. And like, I built a life where I'm at now. I still, even though I, when I stopped doing the drugs, I still had the codependency to navigate. I still had the low self-esteem. I still had all the other things. I didn't, when I stopped, I stopped using the substance, but I started using men, sex, attention, still filling that void. And then something just clicked, like I'm the problem. Like I need to go within to fix myself instead of outside of myself. And that was like a coming home moment for me. Did any of that make sense, guys? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it um, hit a chord with a lot of people out there. Um, Honestly, like I think that people who have truly been through that kind of awakening will never judge what the relative scenario in someone's like spiritual journey was, you know, Yeah. like for some other people, it may not be as severe, but that experience of self realization is the same. And that, and the journey of self empowerment is the same. And like, once again, like when we hear relative stories, we we begin to feel like sorry for other people or yeah. um, Yeah. But like the truth is that that is the past. And that is a part of the growth, like I said. And I, I in, t- in my own mind, I like to keep myself from thinking this way because that's the exact reason why I did adopt a neg- uh, negative mindset. And that negative mindset came from looking at the past and saying, I should have done better. And like you said, with the inner child's conversation and healing, um, we as... Um, people who help people heal it's very important for us to show the connection between the inner child and the present moment and that all the stuff in between can be erased if you have access to that inner child yeah. and if you have access to your true self um, and I want to talk more about um, sex workers I want to talk more about um, african-american rights I want to talk more about um, sexual wellness and I want to talk more about 
um, how you think in the moment now. Yeah. So let's start with um, your kind of perspective on sex work. I know obviously you said that there's nothing wrong with it and that you believe that if it's um, it someone... It feels empowering and it feels good and you're not... And like, there's so many different levels to this because I hold a lot of space for sex workers or previous sex workers. I have a lot of clients um, who have stopped sex work and now reflect on it and be like, oh, I was void filling with like a certain thing they were getting from that because it is a dopamine release um, as well. Like getting that attention releases dopamine in our brain. For, For me... And the women that I was working with, it was not empowering. Um, It was a ways and means to get what we needed to survive our addiction. And it was a very manipulative thing. When I was in my addiction, my body was like what I used to get everything, you know, which also had me tap into that manipulation that is like a shadow part of me that I've navigated and integrated into my life and have accepted and, you know, but at that time it was coming out and overtaking me. Um, now like that I reflect like, and I always found ways to like justify it and make it fit, sit right with how, what I was doing. Um, but I feel like if you feel good doing this work and it fits right with your soul, then there's nothing wrong with it. Like the society says there's something wrong with it. You know, if you want to use your body and sex as, you know, your job, your career, I mean, what's your perspective on this? You like, we kind of. What's my perspective? Yeah. Um, Honestly, I don't have a perspective because it's not my life. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way I like to think, you know, like obviously people out there are going to do negotiable things and it's not my job to say this is wrong. Right. Like that's not going to, is that going to impact my experience? Absolutely not. I just wanted to hear what you had to say because you have kind of a foot in that direction. And if people are curious and they have judgment, maybe it would kind of cast away some of the Listen, when I first got clean, if strip clubs and, you know, sex work was not a trigger for me to want to use or get high, I probably would have, you know, maybe danced and made some money and like enjoyed that. But I also know that that attention is also a drug for me and it keeps me outside of myself. So that's another reason. It just didn't sit right with my spirit. But I have a plenty of friends who feel empowered and love that work and good for them. Like if it feels good for you and sits right with your soul, freaking own that shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I wanted to kind of hear. And that, um, I don't know. I, I think there's like over the past few years, like being a sex worker, especially in New York, there's been a lot of conversation about that. And I never really kind of went there in terms of speaking yeah. about it. But just make sure you're safe because there's a lot of unsafe ways to, you know, get yourself out there. Um, and yeah, make sure you're safe. I've had like lots of friends have terrible experiences and I had my own terrible experience. Not everybody is as genuine as like we are, you know, and their motives. Mm-hmm. I'm Might not always hearted. And the funny thing is like, like the amount of shit that you got yourself into and being as pure as you are at a soul level is like, God. it's honestly, you know, this is something I think about a lot because as humans, we're all very oppositional. Mm-hmm. So the more we feel like neglected, the more we're going to pursue. 
And yeah. the more that distance is going to grow until finally you're like, you have no choice but to come back here. Yeah. You know? Like this is the beginning and then this is the end and you come back. Full circle. Yes, full circle. So spirituality is full circle and it kind of slaps you in the face. Yep. Yeah. Mas- so messy. But you know what the crazy thing is? That if I never went through... Like my life now and how I feel now is better than I can ever remember. I've never felt like this, even as a child, like I said, and my husband um, is in recovery too. So if I did not experience that, I would have never, you know, met my husband. I would never have gotten the opportunity for this, my son, this amazing energy to choose me to be his mom. We have two boys. My other one's younger. Um, But like everything I'm a believer even the shitty shit in my life even the shitty shit in my husband's life like he's lost his wife like I've lost you know my fiance we both have lost have had a lot of loss in our lives have led us to like this point at the exact right moment for us to show up and to serve each other in the way possible for like not just a sexual romantic human level connection but like this soul connection like our souls are growing and like this like relationship has taught me like we seriously signed up for this shit together Mm -hmm. like so much um and I've come like was able to like release my codependency before coming into this connection so that I'm able to not only let him fill my cup. Like I make sure I'm taken care of and then what he adds, adds to it. Like everything has led to this exact moment. Yeah. An exact moment here with us on the screen too. <laughs> right? um, I have um, something to share about relationships too, because I was also very codependent. Um, and I think it's actually a natural, I think codependent relationships is a mental way of understanding relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're detached from your emotional self, of course, you're just going to do the next best thing, which is a mental relationship based on the up and down of neurochemicals and sexual attraction. That's natural. And I don't think codependency is necessarily a bad thing. It's once again, a step. It's a step in actualization. Yeah. Like when you're 14, do you really think that like sex is Tantra and that like you can um, have a spiritual experience through sexual experiences and that um, a relationship is actually um, uh, a co-lease in growth. Like, <laughs> yeah, these things you're not going to understand until you feel them. You feel those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, even as we, like, it's constantly shifting, you know. Um, my most recent thing is like I'm questioning monogamy. Like I feel like it's something society has put onto us. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's actually something currently I'm navigating within like seeing if it's limiting beliefs I have or program thinking, or if this is something that really feels in alignment with me, you know, I'm constantly trying to strip down what I'm programmed to think, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm really, I'm re- I was always really good at cutting to the truth and cutting the bullshit. And like, I always knew everything. I don't mean to sound like cocky, but like, I didn't You're an Aries. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> I was very intuitive. So I was like, knew everything, but it was mature adults, like 50 to 60 who were acting like children who made me deny everything I knew about myself. Mm. And that's what really fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, That's really what fucked me up because um, 
I had to walk away from everything that I knew about myself and that I knew myself to be as an artist, as a dancer, as a speaker, as, you know, a soul. Because I hate to say that, like, society, I don't like blaming things, but the truth is that if I didn't have a mass of people to look upon as an influence who were denying spirituality, denying intuition, denying truth, then I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't have the influence. You yeah. Know? Which is why I think that it's good to, to like go full steam with content like this and, and to make sure that social media is getting the real thing about this, because if we can change the influence, we can truly change people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can teach um, teenagers that you can cope in healthy ways, A, that B, that you're so much more than a body. I wish someone told me that. <laughs> so it's crazy you're saying this. I just started a teen's class because of this. Oh. Uh-huh. It's so, so cute. That's like, yeah. really, like really, that really touched me because my teenage years was really tough. Right? My teen. Yeah. I feel like, it's, how, can I ask how old you are? I'm 23. Okay. So... I feel like it's so much harder now than when I was a teenager because of social media, because like instantly, like you go for validation on there instead of, you know, sitting with yourself for a moment and getting connected with your emotions. I remember as a teenager, everything just felt so catastrophic and so big. And like, how am I going to navigate this or get through this? You know? So I started a teen class. It's virtual and in person. And like, it starts this month. So it's funny you said that because I was like, felt so pulled to hold this space and make time for this because of, you know, my pain I experienced then. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to talk about? Oh, this is a, this is a big topic and it's a little controversial, but um, so when BLM started um, with all of the obvious shootings and the ideas of like, mass incarceration and kind of unequal rights in terms of racial um, equality, right? Or dis inequality. Yes. Um, I, as a white woman, um, kind of didn't know how to act. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know if that was your experience, but I think that the way that our society works in terms of media and polarization you're expected to make a drastic change and announce something and polarize yourself. Meanwhile, at an emotional level, that's not how we work. The truth is we all have mixed feelings, right? We all have compassion. I don't care who you are and how awful you are. You might be in prison or whatever. Everyone has compassion. Whether it's tapped into or not tapped into, you have that compassion. And of course, we all have a bit of shame regarding the actions of our collective. And of course, what I experienced is that, well, I was telling you before that I had always felt responsible for issues. So this was just another issue that I felt responsible for. I was like, it's my fault. Like my unworthiness came up. So I had to deal with that individually and my um, kind of close mindedness for the sake of self-defense came up. Um, but now, like a lot later and like doing my own inner work and seeing that um, there are a lot of things that we're unconscious of. And this is like a legit thing, like subconscious programming mm-hmm. things that we're genuinely unconscious of that move our decision making process. And 
I don't think that I was ever, and this is not like, like to get mercy or like defend myself. It's just, I want to bring this conversation up because we have to make actions like reasonable actions that aren't just like changing your profile picture. You know, Um, I think my initial reaction was I'm going to cool off and think about this. You know, I'm going to think about this. Um, And I think that now what I can say is that, yes, did I have subconscious biases? 100%. Was I aware of them? No. So was I a bad person? No. And my actions moving forward is that I want to actively include. That's That's my, that's my answer. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your input? Because I know you have a very diverse groups probably and with the teen group. So what is your two leaders and healers? um, What's your advice regarding um, steps moving forward with equality? So when, I mean, I can't even say when this all started, but when it all came to light and like more public because it's been going on forever. um, I stopped and I listened to black women um, and kind of learned as much as I could because I realized that even though I had this story in my head that because my stepmom was black and because my friends were black, you know, like I was an ally and I still, I never learned, you know, I just felt because I loved all different types of people that I was doing the right thing. And I never acknowledged, you know, the history there and the struggle and like the injustice that was done. Like it just never was talked about. Um, So when this happened, obviously we're, this is like a hard thing for me to talk about because as a white woman, I feel uncomfortable talking about it, but it needs to be talked about. And I've been told by other like women that it needs to be talked about. Uh, I just get so worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing and it keeps me quiet, which still isn't okay. What I did personally for myself is all of my services, all of my offerings, I offer for free for Black women because it's a privilege that within my business, I have the right to do and that they have the right to receive. That was what felt right for me. Um, I am a part of this group on Instagram that says amazing organization is called gather and grow. And it's like, talks a lot about equality. It holds a lot of amazing sacred spaces for women. And they meet every Thursday and we talk about, you know, injustice and racial inequality and human rights and everything. So I just listen, I ask questions. I don't get afraid to ask the questions because I'm going to seem, you know, unknowledgeable, you know? So I kind of like, think of myself as a little kid learning. And then I listen to the women, what they need from us. And I see how I can deliver that or the men. Usually, honestly, full transparency, it's mostly women groups that I gather with and like talk about this stuff with. And it's space held by women of color. Um, So yeah, but I didn't realize how privileged I was in Baltimore being a white woman, like, and how much was handed to me and how, like, if I went into a store with one of my black friends and I was literally like shoving stuff and stealing, they weren't paying attention to me. And like, even we got into a fight and all three of my black friends got arrested. They did not arrest me or search me at all and just let me go. 
like what? It's crazy. But I didn't really reflect on that until, you know, the past year. And I was like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I wanted to talk about white privilege, obviously. Um, in terms of like, I mean, I went to a private Catholic school, so that's obviously my first privilege. Like if I'd gone to like a high school, yeah. public high school, I would have been like way worse than I ended up, you know? Um, other than that, there's like, I mean, I'm, I'm a very hard worker, so like I don't want to like downplay that aspect. Yeah. Absolutely. There is an aspect of appearance. And I think, I think there's a difference between hard work and appearance. Yeah. And that's, that's a distinction that needs to be made. Um, There are plenty of hardworking people out there who will be behind the scenes for the rest of their lives because not only are they, um, it's not even like a black or white thing. It's just like um, appearance, like attractive, you know? Yeah. There's also that aspect, but then you can even take it a step further and go into the white man's mind of just like black people are less attractive. And that's, that's just like, I will say this in bold text. Like this is a bias that exists within everyone's subconscious mind who is white and born in America. I think there's an aspect of superiority and this is beyond even privilege. If um, you want to talk about the subconscious biases, that's definitely one of them. It's um, and in an appearance driven society if you believe that someone has an inferior appearance to you, that's everything. Yeah. And that is where I wanted to take this. I didn't know where I was taking this. And of course, it's a <laughs> where it went. for me, like, like, I don't know, like I'm just letting my soul kind of carry this one because I don't know what to do. Like yeah. I'm one white female. I mean, I have a big brain, but like, and like a loud voice, but at the same time, like, I'm one person and, and everyone has their own mind and everyone has their own body and everyone has their own will and choices to make. So it's going to be a long developing conversation. It's going to be a long process. And a lot of people are still in shock, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think going into shock and like emotional shutdown is another aspect. Um, but I think that, and the conversation needs to start with white people because Absolutely. obviously like we are the people who essentially are running this shit essentially, you know, right now, that's just how it is. Um, in yeah. most countries, you know, so if, if white people start the conversation and start raising people up, that's, that's really the first move. Okay. Moving on <laughs> before we talk about macroeconomic change, <laughs> let's talk about, um, so we covered kind of, Oh, sexual wellness. Yeah. I know we were chatting about this a little bit before we started recording and I wanted to give listeners and viewers an insight. So essentially, um, my take on sexual wellness being corrupted by the porn industry and, the patriarchal view of sexual acquisition and validation. This is like a no brainer. Like I said, with the codependency and the mental growth aspect of society, like we're just not there yet. We're not at the level of where sexuality should be and having sexual liberation and having sex access to sexual devices and like sexual ideas does not mean that you're in tune with your sexuality. Mm-mm. And um, this goes hand in hand with that idea of like externalizing your power 
and thinking that everything is either the body or of the body or made of matter. Um, and sexuality is not one of those things like spirituality. Yeah. Sexuality is um, a connection between the mind, body, and soul. And if you're just using it for body and mind, essentially, a lot of people are even unaware that it's, it's mental. So mm-hmm. first they need to get to that aspect, raise awareness there, and, and then you get the spiritual. So then there's another jump to be made. Um, I believe that sexual wellness in America is taking the wrong direction. I think that it's one thing to empower people to um, observe their bodies and connect their mind to the body. It's another thing to say, like, these are things that will give you a better sexual experience. And the key word there is things. The only person Mm -hmm. who will give you a beautiful sexual experience is yourself and your connection. And whether that's, you know, with yourself, like solo sexual experience or with a partner. Um, One of the hardest things for me to do when I first got clean was to have sex. It was so triggering for me. I could not get my mind out of the way. Um, so I had a really, really hard time because every time I had had sex, it was either for drugs or money or I was intoxicated. So I was like not self-conscious about my humanness during it. Mm-hmm. So when I first started having sex clean, I <clears throat> was it was just body my mind was so disassociated from it and like thinking or uh, worrying about being like some not being perfect because of that standard the porn industry and the strip club had like instilled within my mind like if I had missed like a spot shaving that's all I could think about the whole time or that I was imperfect and was going to be judged there was none of that primal just intense connection getting the mind out of the way and like letting my spirit be present during it at all about a year and a half into my sobriety I really started getting into energy work and bringing my energy back into my body like I stopped disassociating just started bringing it back in and like my first sexual experience was with myself and I used to be really tough just full transparency like I almost had labiaplasty surgery because I was so self-conscious that my vagina my vulva was not perfect like I saw on you know porn and like it like made me really self-conscious with sex even self-pleasure um like as a teenager I even imagined like cutting it off with scissors and like just getting rid of it like I had like this whole shame thing wrapped around it that I released probably within like five years ago I navigated that and like started to have like more self-acceptance with my body in that area so yeah I would like to add that this is very common yeah it might sound really shocking to men listening or like even some women who have been validated their whole lives the truth is that what a lot of girls do when they experience porn and they experience hookup culture and they get bullied by young boys who have no idea how to maneuver a young uh, woman's body um When that hits you in the face, you think that all of your issues mentally and all of your issues emotionally are linked to this one insecurity. Mm -hmm. And you put all of your unworthiness and shame and guilt into this area of your body. And and sometimes people associate it with weight, with acne, whatever it may be. Um, 
sexual orientation, whatever it may be, you'll begin to shame yourself because of the pain or because of the inner conflict that you're experiencing. And a lot of the times, for some reason, a lot of trauma becomes connected to sexuality. Mm -hmm. And even with sex addiction, um, a lot of trauma leads us to connect sexuality with unworthiness. And I don't know, like, that's just something that I've observed. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why that's like the place to go. And I think it's because you're interacting with someone else and you're it's like, it's almost like you're reaching out for help. And I, yeah. I think what it was, and I think that's, that's essentially how validation works, right? You're, you're reaching out uh-huh. for assistance in your, in dealing with your own issues that you're unaware of. So it's a little bit of like a massive cycle. Yeah. And with sexual wellness, I think it's about bringing that support to yourself and, yeah. and closing the circle within yourself. I also feel um, as a collective with women, there's like this shame and stigma around masturbation and like self-pleasure because I remember being a teenager and feeling so shameful about masturbating. And like, I kept it like as this deep, dark secret that I didn't want anybody to find out of. But like, I would hear people joke about boys that age doing it, but like never, you know, talk about women doing it at all so I felt like something was wrong with me because I had these desires and like this wanting to experience an orgasm at a younger or whatever society says is a younger age so I carried that shame so when I started also another big thing is like with teenagers women like when you start having sex because it, it you're doing it for the other person and not because you want to there's an, like, that means that your mind is running the show and like your spirit is not involved in that decision. When you're faking orgasms to boost your partner's ego up too, you know, and not allowing yourself to really experience pleasure, it shows you have a fear of people pleasing and like, you know, you're not taking care of yourself. Um, to be able to verbalize and like claim your desires and honor those sexually is an amazing thing to experience. And like you were talking a little bit about the porn industry and um, my husband and I have navigated many different layers of this. It's been like a reoccurring thing within our relationship in some like, you know, harder ways and some lighter ways. And I'm a big, I'm a sex work or supporter. So like I, if we do decide to watch porn, we make sure it's ethically sourced where those women are getting paid. They're choosing to be in that. Like there's sites that are, you know, good, healthy porn sites like made for, you know, I don't know my wording with this, but it's like empowering porn. Like these people are choosing to be there. They're choosing to have this. Oh yeah. I heard about that. Going to be there. I heard about that. You know, Uh you have to make sure where your porn is coming from because it's not all ethical. You know, there's some really like, there are some women who don't want those videos out there like that are recorded against their knowledge. There are younger like girls, like you making sure it's ethical. I feel is like really important for me and my spirit to be able to feel you know, comfortable and excited for watching it. Like these women want to be in this. They want me to watch this and they're like getting paid for me to watch this. And that feels good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely am more of like a radical person when it comes to change. So when I realized that aspect of porn and also the aspect of 
how it rewires your brain to objectify sex and objectify bodies. I was like, no. And like, that was just a cold, hard no. I was like this, I don't want to be a part of this. I want to have my own experiences, first of all. Yeah. I wanted to be a part of my body and I want to be connected to my body. And, And porn is a way to disconnect. It's a form of escape. Not always. Not always like you're saying. Yeah. But I would say like a, a good chunk of the... Oh, percent. absolutely. It releases the same chemicals as drugs do. It's like dopamine and it gets you outside of yourself, you know. It helps you to escape your reality, which is your body and energy. And all the, the things that we're kind of talking about is getting back into that energy, whether it's through the mind or through the body. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then... um with sexual wellness, something I want to talk about. Of course, there's a stigma with masturbation, which shouldn't exist, but that's another layer that people yeah. have to like deal with on their own, essentially. Um, I think I think it's on the way there. I think more people are raising awareness about that mm-hmm. through yoga, especially. Um, I don't know. My thing with sexual wellness is like I'm actually pretty conservative. Like I, th- I think that like with most things, I'm very open-minded, but with sexuality, it should be conservative. It's sacred. It's, it's sacred and it should be your own. And it should be, um, it's not your own secret, but it's your own experience. You're not going to go out there and tell people what you had, what you saw on LSD, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's a sacred experience and it's your intimate body and it's your intimate energy. Yeah. So like that aspect is like well why are we doing something so oppositional to our spirit you know and the thing there is that if we're disconnected from spirit and we're disconnected from our bodies we're gonna find ways to like you said a lot with like substances that they would numb you but for some people they actually bring them to life because they shut down other selves they shut down other aspects that are blocking like aliveness you know and there's that aspect of things being suppressants or things being depressants um, or stimulants. And whatever, whatever your coping strategy is, know that you're um, finding a way to resolve, um, like Jerry Ann was saying, you're, you're um, filling that inner void with some external validation yeah. object or um, trigger or whatever it may be. And I don't know specifically where I was going with this, but I think that um, with sexuality, it's almost more painful because you're consciously doing something against your will, yeah. you know, against your inner will. Like your body, it's almost like you're disassociated because your body is moving, but your soul is craving something completely different. And so many times people mistake, I'll fall into this every once in a while. My husband will call me out on it. Intimacy for sexuality sometimes. Intimacy for sex. Like when sometimes when we're not having our emotional needs met or able to verbalize emotionally, we instantly like go to sex to get outside of ourselves. Like especially those of us who are like in a relationship or have a partner, um, you crave connection or just to feel closer to them. And sex is such an an easier way sometimes to do that than to have those conversations and to like go into the depths of, you know, 
why is this disconnection happening or what do you have going on? Like, what do you really feel right now? Like my partner and I will make conscious time to check in with like do a soul check-in with each other. Um, and we like go through our energy points and like see where we're at with different things. Um, sometimes some inner child shit will surface or, and then we'll have a good cry together every once in a while. And then we'll be like, you still want to, you know, connect physically too, or you just want to leave that emotional connection right now because we've caught in ourselves in patterns sometimes. And I love sex. I love sex. I, and it's also probably because I don't drink, I don't smoke. So it is another, like every once in a while, like I feel like it's okay to, you know, experience an escape. And like sex can be that every once in a while in a healthy manner for us. Um, but yeah, I love sex. But sometimes it's just, I also love connection and intimacy. And I just want to sit there and talk and then cuddle me or, you know, or give me my love language, whatever that is. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, yeah. I, I think that you hit, you hit the nail on the head, if that's the saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just pointed out the difference that I'm trying to point out, um, which is that there's a difference between connection and physical connection. Yep, absolutely. And it's not even that, it's not even that like you shouldn't have a physical connection. It's like, is there substance there? Mm -hmm. And if we don't have the substance, we feel shame or guilt. And that's something I was like, whoa, I was mind blown, especially for women. Like I made that connection. It's like, if we're not doing it for spiritual reasons, we feel um, objectified. And then our initial reaction, our neurochemicals are like shame and guilt. Yeah. And it's, it's something that's wired within us. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's how it works for men, but for women, that's what I've experienced. Um, for men, I think they're definitely more external as like a, like a gender. Um, but I do think they also have that component of wanting to have substance in sexual relations. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, um, another thing like to like, this is a really long episode, but like to kind of close things up is to talk about what's happening in the collective. And I know that you run a 12 step program and you have a teen program and you're being very outspoken with all of your social activism. So what is your advice for people during this? Obviously there's a mass awakening. Like you can't hide that. No, I was literally just about, I was like, Oh, I'm like trying to like, just listen and feel what you're saying. But as soon as we started about the collective, I'm like, everybody's fucking waking up right now and like coming back home to themselves and like finding ways to feel good and to feel whole because, you know, we realized the way we were living before the pandemic was kind of a shit show as a collective, you know, it was constantly go, 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 go. And it, it forced us to kind of slow down. And in the beginning, it was really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of people are either re-getting connected with themselves or completely rebuilding and rediscovering and integrating things into who they want to be and who they're becoming. I have worked with so many women who have just been like, going through the motions of life prior to this and just integrated spirituality and like 
you know, energy work and, you know, learning about their cycles and the power behind that into their lives and just like watch them transform. I had a girl message me say, she was like, today is one year since I had my first energy session with you. And now she's like an esthetician who does Reiki facials and is like all into womb work and she feels so whole and she's like radiating and like causing other women to feel that too. And I'm like, look at you, like you are honoring your truth and but there's also a heavier side to this. Like some people have like gotten lost during this time and, you know, have not really uh, just got really uncomfortable and depression and anxiety. And even me, like I've ebbed and flowed with certain things. Like my whole, I just started guided awakenings, quit my nine to five, dove all into this and then boom, pandemic. So I had to pivot and I was like, oh my gosh, all of my stuff was in person. You know, what am I going to do? It was not until March of last year that I went online and shifted the direction to my business. And I realized that it has been such a gift because I have expanded. I was like in this little in-person, in my town bubble. And I work with people in Australia, in England, like California, all over the world. And it's, for me, it's been pretty awesome. (laughs) Like definitely a gift to kind of, you know, shift my perspective and get creative. Yeah, I feel that. And I think you also just, um, highlighted the most important aspect which is creativity yeah not only is that the way to survive creativity is resourcefulness it's also the ability to manufacture your own experience and it's also the ability to um, create a new perspective and creativity is what we need right now creativity 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 so if you are feeling any of those mental health symptoms obviously um schedule an appointment or reach out to someone who you trust, obviously, but also understand that it's okay to feel this way. That um, when you go through transitions, it's only natural for your mind to um, have a counteraction and to try to balance out that shift. Um, And just know that this, A, is a natural reaction, but also there are so many other people and we're experiencing these things as a collective don't think it's just not alone like even me like I've always had like mild anxiety um but it's also because I'm um an empath but also lately my anxiety has been like off the roof you know um and what I've been able to do with it um this is like a good way to kind of top everything off what I've been able to do with my anxiety is to create like I've been able to alchemize that energy through unconditional love through my heart chakra and to just create, 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 connect, connect, connect. And I think that actually anxiety is a really useful tool. I don't oh, see absolutely. It's a I great think anxiety model. is like what fuels what fuels progress and what fuels change. If we didn't have anxiety or depression, guys, we wouldn't do shit. We would be complacent. Yes. yes. If I wasn't thinking of I was thinking about this just this morning, actually, and like we're so synced up, is the idea of like if there's no risk or reward we will never pursue it. Our animal nature will never be activated, right? So it's the same thing with anxiety, depression. If we're not, if there's no, if there's no stake in what we're doing, we're not going to do it. And I think people are waking up to that nature within themselves that they need to feel things to do them. And if they're not feeling things, but doing them, then um, if they're just doing things that they're not connected to at an emotional level, 
then they they carry all of that energy rather than exerting it into society, yeah. into, community, into positive projects. So that's kind of what I wanted to add onto it. Um, yeah. Do you have any other things that you wanted to add that you have like burning? I feel like we touched all bases today. I love it. I like that we, you know, got into some deep ass conversations that need to be talked about. Yeah. And like, I'm so happy I had you on because I think a lot of people, like I only take people to places they're ready to go, you know, like with specific conversations. And like, these are things that I've been wanting to talk about. And I knew that you would just like kind of take it there because we can only, and this is something I noticed, like I'm very focused on throat chakra energy and we're only going to focus on talking about things that we have extracted the energy from within our own bodies. Yeah. Um, and if people are, that's the thing with BLM too. Like it's going to take people time to be vocal about things because they have to process things within themselves. You know, that's why when people are like, why like in relationships too, this is another thing. Like when girls are like, like guys, they're not speaking up, they're being cold. They're yeah. Cause they're emotionally blocked off. They don't actually know anything until they feel it. We don't know things until we feel them. So don't expect anyone to communicate with you until they take that time to feel things. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was nice to connect with you. I'm so happy to have you, Jerry Ann. I think this is a great episode. I think that you're an amazing person and a beautiful light in this world and you're doing amazing work and like, 100% 100% keep going keep growing um keep connecting um, we can do more IGTV sessions um yeah to help people on their journey and um you actually the most important thing I want to add is that like I've been doing the podcast and like sharing my information and like yoga but like I haven't actually stepped up and started offering sessions ever because even though I'm so empowered and like like vocal like I still have this and this is something that's a good angle to show people is that like even people who you like aspire to and who you think have it together like I'm have I have the biggest fear of money ever (laughs) and and I have a I have a money blockage and a fear of getting paid I don't know why and that's something that you helped me to uncover so now I'm just like yeah. Well, we should talk about that sometime. That's definitely sacral chakra connected, which is also where all that sexual energy is. And like, I've navigated my own money blocks and have helped a lot of other women and it all stems to self-worth and like your view on money, money, like how was your view growing up? Did your parents have like a scarcity mindset or it was it like, was it very money driven? Like, you know, just tuning into where your limiting beliefs and blockages around money stem from and like seeing if that's really truly still in alignment with you. You're in a very intelligent old soul and I feel like it might not be in alignment and shifting your perspective and realize like you're worthy of energy in for your energy out. And you like, I can know that you will hold amazing space for people. Um, and you're doing yourself and everyone else an injustice by not doing that because you're meant to serve. And when like, yes, this is an amazing way to serve with your podcast, but also that intimate one-on-one vulnerable container with someone of transformation, like you're, you're meant to do that. You're meant to show up to do that, you know, and to serve your truth. Yeah. I mean, like when you were talking about how you were offering sessions and like your transition through COVID, something hit me in my head. I was like, 
after this, like, like I'm closing my zoom like window and I'm figuring out how to offer sessions. You know, I was like, if she's doing it, like I should be doing it, you know? And I think that a lot of people with like energy work and healing stuff, people think that it's like abstract and metaphysical, but this is what the world actually needs. Mm -hmm. Like this is the meaningful shit. And even if people call you crazy or like, this is not worth it, there's like, even if people aren't aware of the powers of healing um, tools, it's still going to like impact their life. You know, like it just because people aren't aware of the usefulness of something doesn't mean it's not useful. So that's kind of like my big old um, takeaway from this conversation level. But um, okay. I'm going to let you go. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you. um, Do you have any contact information for people listening? Just follow me on Instagram at guided underscore awakenings. And if you like are struggling with addiction or are thinking about stepping onto the spiritual path or have been here for a while or have some limiting beliefs, you're ready to like reconstruct and realign. I'm your girl. I'm here to hold some space. 